Hello, everyone. Thanks for joining us for our Lean Startup webcast. Today's topic is how enterprise companies can use product analytics to move fast. I'm Felicia Chanko, Production Manager of Lean Startup Company. Lean Startup Week 2017 is two and a half months away. If you're planning on joining us in San Francisco, grab your pass before August 31st to save with our August special. Visit leanstartup.co for more information. Our speaker today is Justin Bauer, VP of Product at Amplitude. Moderating today is six-time entrepreneur and Lean Startup faculty member, Dave Benetti. A few housekeeping notes. We'll be taking questions from the audience via the live chat. If you'd like to ask a question, please flag it by starting with a Q colon before your question. We're raffling off a silver pass to Lean Startup Week. For a chance to win, simply add to the chat conversation with a question or comment during the broadcast. This will be a 45-minute program, and the recording will be available after this live webcast. Take it away, Dave. Well, thanks, Felicia, and welcome, Justin. Thank you. Uh, so we're going to get right into the topic at hand. So when you think about people that are in large enterprise organizations and the products that they're managing, they have seemingly a limitless advantage over small uh, new entrants. They're bigger. They have vastly more resources, effectively infinite. Uh, they have unbelievable marketing. They have entry into their channels. They have existing customers from which they can draw. They just seem to have every advantage of the world. And yet, time and time again, we see these enterprises continually fall behind, and in some cases, be completely disrupted by startups. Like, why is that? Like, why does that happen over and over and over again when, when enterprises seemingly have every advantage? Great question, because we do see it over and again, yet history continues to repeat itself. Um, and, you know, honestly, the real problem is that everyone thinks they have the right vision for their product and really understands their users, but the reality is they don't. Um, and in the absence of that, that real true understanding backed by real data, uh, then product decisions ultimately fall to politics. And as we all know, politics can run rampant within large organizations. Uh, and we see that this will have one of two effects, uh, both of which slow companies down. And ultimately, speed is, is a real driver here. So the first and probably the most common um, is that everyone listens to uh, the opinion of one person. This is probably the most senior person in the room or the hippo, the highest paid person in the room. And basically, that person kicks off this waterfall process where uh, they ultimately, the company will build something uh, that isn't valuable to the customer because they didn't have the right understanding what the customer wants. And it wastes months, if not years, to get there. Um, and the second one that we're seeing more, as people are starting to hear more about things like lean and agile methodologies, uh, they'll think they're adopting that. Um, but really, what they're doing is just using the data to validate their previously held beliefs. So it just reinforces the problems of the first, right? So you're going to still have these silos where people are arguing over opinions. Um, and this infighting creates schedule delays and ultimately leads to building a suboptimal product that isn't valuable to the customer. And startups just don't have this luxury. They have to listen to the customer and move quickly. Because if they don't, then they will die. Whereas a large organization almost falls to the pain of having all of those uh, resources. Um, because they can actually try to build out these massive schedules. Right, right, right. So that, like, that's not going to change, though, right? I mean, startups are always going to be constrained, and enterprises always, by definition, are going to have more resources. So then, your your fundamental problem: how do you how do you fight it? How do you combat it? How do you address that if you're then able to identify the issue? Mm -hmm. Like those other things are not going to change. So how how do you how are you going to fix that? 
Great question. So yeah, so how do you actually turn that what looks like a disadvantage to actually an advantage? And I think it comes down to creating a culture of customer obsession. Um, so really, truly ensuring that everyone in the organization right, wants to build for the customer. Um, and what that means is a couple things. It's not just being data-driven, but it's also, it's both the qualitative and the quantitative really matter. And a lot of times what we'll see is organizations will do one or the other, but they won't do both. Um, and even then, they probably aren't doing it right. Uh, so I'll give an example of this. So we worked uh, with a very large B2B customer um, who just recently implemented Amplitude. And before that, everything they built was based on kind of two things. Uh, so one, did a customer request this feature? And second, how much is that customer paying us? Um, and, so, and they thought that was what it meant to be data-driven. Um, because, well, the customer's asking for something, and we're looking at the data to see how much money they're going to pay us for it, so that's what we should do. Um, so, but wait a minute. So, but, but what's wrong with that? They're looking at data. They're talking to customers. They're backing it with the thing that ultimately matters, which is, which is money. I mean, I'm sorry, Justin, you're very handsome, but why should I listen to you when I have these customers telling me they're going to pay for this? What's wrong with that? Yes, exactly. And it's not that you shouldn't listen to the customer, but the role of product um, is to understand the underlying problem that you're trying to solve, um, but not just take the product requirement from a customer and put that into your product, right? So the customer is asking for these features because there's a real problem there. Um, but what they ask, they're not, they're not going to do your job for you, right? They're going to express what they want in the world that they think they can influence, which is, oh, we, we kind of think this might be an interesting feature, but you got to understand, like, what's the underlying problem and then how does that apply across all of your user base, not just this one specific? So hold on uh, a second. Customer? Hold on a second. So, so Amplitude is a product analytics uh, offering. So that's able to, to get a whole bunch of data from the customers. But they, I mean, does your product do mind reading? I mean, are you able to get into the customer's mind? And, and assuming not, if so, let me know. I want to invest. But assuming not, <laughs> then, 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 then how... I mean, how do we bridge the gap? I mean, there's no shortage of data in enterprises. How do they bridge the gap between the data that they have or they could get from products such as yours and others to where they need to be? Yeah, so that's, that's where you want to have the combination, where we really see that the qualitative and the quantitative working together. And most companies aren't doing either well. Um, and Amplitude isn't going to help you completely uh, change everything, but it can play a core role in actually getting the data. So I'll give an example. So coming back to this company. So they, Amplitude, they implement Amplitude. Now they can actually look to build features that no individual customer would have asked for, but if they release them, they can actually see the impact it has on all of their customers. And before, they couldn't do that. They had no view into a feature and how people were using it. And so they could never have the conviction to actually go and do that. Right? Wait so a minute. Kind of you've just, you just described a catch-22. How do I know what customers want until I release the feature? But I can't release the feature until I know what customers want. So I'm stuck, am I? Yeah. So what you do is... Talk to the customer to understand their problem, right? So that's okay. the first thing. Not what they ask, but their problem. And then build something that addresses that problem and then see if customers actually use it, right? And then that's the iterative process. So one of the things we talk about a lot uh, internally here and we see some of you know, our best customers do is this combination of what we call 10x plus 10%, uh, which is vision plus iteration and the execution. So you have to have a 10x vision, right? You need to understand what are the core problems that you want to solve for, 
But then a lot of times people then will try to build this massive product to hit that vision and it takes like a year for it to get out. And what we say is no, think about what is then the 10% thing that you could build to validate if that was the right vision. So get that out quickly and then see if there's adoption. If there is adoption, that's great. You now know that you should continue along that path. And if you don't get adoption, you now know there's some assumptions that you made around your vision that are incorrect. You need to go back to the drawing board and understand those. Okay, so um, a startup uh, can produce that 10% solution because like it's all they do. They don't have existing customer bases that they need to support. So what are some of the practical ways that you've seen some of your clients or others, from wherever you get the experience, to help these actual enterprise companies say, okay, I've got this 90% product over here that's still paying the bills. Um, but then I want to go do this 10% product over there. How do you sell it to the hippo? How do you how do you get it into production? Do you put it under the main brand? Do you have a big hundred million dollar launch? Like how practically do you get that 10% solution out there so you can start to get real data? Yeah, yeah. So one part of that is how you organ basically organize your company. Um, okay. So one of the things that like Jeff Bezos, we look at, we, Amazon I think does a spectacular job of being an enterprise company and still moving quickly. And one of the things he talks about is the two pizza team. Right? So the concept of being able to create a team of people that are small and autonomous, the team that could be fed by two pizzas, uh, and allow them to go and experiment. Um, an example of how we do that even at Amplitude is we actually have what we call six-week experiment pods. So basically, we allow one to two people who have an idea to go and experiment against that, um, where they're going to go work directly with customers and come back after six weeks of having either released a couple things or built out some prototypes and mm -hmm. say, here, we think there's real value here, and we kind of let them run on their own. So the, more, the really important thing is that they're not held down by the bureaucracy of the top. They're allowed to go and explore. And so creating ways that you can enable people on the ground who are going to understand the customer really well to go and tackle those problems and see if they can come up with an innovative solution. So that's like a critical thing that we see that large enterprise companies need to do in these areas where they're worried about maybe even disrupting their existing uh, business. All right, got it. Okay, we're starting to get a few questions in from the audience, so I'm going to throw one in right, right straight away. Um, and so uh, somebody is actually asking the question, if you focus only on the customer problems, then you miss other opportunities to create customer value. Uh, is that a statement you agree with, disagree with, uh, need to modify slightly? Yeah, I don't know if I would agree with that. I think in the end, value is created by understanding the problem. Okay. I believe that, and I think product-led companies have been successful because they truly understand what the customer is trying to tackle. Now, your product today may not be solving all of the problems that your product three years from now will solve. That's what it means to actually build out your product and expand kind of into the adjacencies. But it all starts with a true understanding of the problem because in the end, a customer is only going to use your solution um, if it solves pain for them or gives them delight, which ultimately comes down to some inherent problem they're looking to accomplish. And so we truly believe it's critical to understand that. Um, and if you understand that, then you will be able to come up with some solutions against that and then validate whether those are the right solutions to solve that problem. Okay. You talked about the importance of, of company culture and large larger company culture, how that can sort of impact things. Um, and uh, as, as I've heard before, I don't exactly know who the quote is from, but, uh, you know, uh, culture eats strategy for breakfast. Uh, and, uh, and that maybe it was Eric. I don't know. Uh, but that... 
that whole concept of the company culture is the thing that can often uh, get in the way of these types of things. So, I mean, how do we solve that? Is it just all we need are pizzas? All we need are two pizzas and then all those company culture problems are solved? Uh, what uh, What are some of the ways that you've seen that the company culture can be affected? And, and, and if so, how can the tools help them accomplish that? Yeah, yeah, it's a great question. So yeah, in the end, a couple tactics aren't gonna recreate a culture. Um, and, and in the end, if you're gonna influence culture, it has to start from the top. Um, so people need to under, like leaders need to really drive that, but there are ways that people, um, that aren't even in leadership can help influence leadership to see it. But in, in the end for the companies that we've seen be most successful switching their culture and Amplitude has played a part of that, um, is they've really kind of drove down to three things. So the one we've talked about a lot is customer obsession, right? Okay. So just becoming obsessed about culture. And there are things you can do, so come back to, to Amazon, because I just think they're a great example, but like having the chair in the room that represents the customer. It's like small things like that, that reinforce uh, this, but like really being customer obsessed, and a, and a big component of being customer success obsessed is having the data to do that. So that's a role that Amplitude can play and other tools can play there. The second thing that we've highlighted a bit that's really important is decentralizing decision-making. Right, so not having decisions come from the top, have the mission come from the top, right? but the decisions made from people who are actually closer to the customer and can react to that. Um, that's really, really critical. Happy to go through examples of how uh, basically our customers have done that um, and how they've actually changed how they organize themselves to do that. And then I think the final thing is then making sure that product is actually accountable to business outcomes. Right? So that's a huge shift that I think helps change a culture as well, where the product team traditionally was always seen as like a cost center, where they build something, it's whatever marketing told us to build. And so they're not empowered to actually care. But if you can show that the product you're building is actually driving revenue, that can create a cultural change. Because then all of that propagates. We're building product that's driving revenue. We're, built, we're listening to customers to build that great product. And we're empowering people throughout the company to do that. That then creates this groundswell that can ultimately change how a company actually does. Sure, things. but again, you're talking, that's the catch-22, right? I mean, how do you know what product to build that's gonna generate that revenue? What if you build a product that doesn't generate revenue? And 95% of products don't, even when they have the yes. idea or the analytics or everything else. So do you just hide the data? Do you fake the data? Do you just play under the radar? Do you use a fake brand? I mean. Uh, if we all knew exactly what was going to generate revenue, then, hey, great, problem solved, and I want to invest in that company as well. But most of us don't have the luxury of being able to see the future. So what do you do if you are uncertain that your product is going to be a revenue generator? Yeah, and you should be uncertain. Like, that's the reality. Like, none of us, are, none of us can see the future. Um, but what we can do is create, one, a culture of experimentation and failure, right? Allow that to happen. Um, and two, learn how to basically reduce risk sooner through being closer to the customer. And ultimately, like you talked at the very beginning about how enterprise companies have all these advantages, so many resources. They have the event, like it's funny, like startups, yeah, they take risks because they have to. Enterprise companies could take way more risks, um, but don't. Uh, and a big part of that is because they actually don't know how to take risks. Like the way to take risk is not to build this grand new product that takes a year to build, but as I'm sure everyone here in the, uh, on the podcast understands, it's basically to do these experiments, 
get close to the customer, and use data to understand if what you're building is actually working. And another part of that, too, is making sure that the people that are doing those experiments, the people on the ground, the product teams doing that, they're the ones exploring the data. That's another thing that we just see happen time and time again that slows companies down, which is what delays and creates these, these huge projects. Like, you can't outsource customer understanding right, to a separate team. Like, you need the product team who's building product every day to actually see what we released today or this week. Did customers use it? And they have to be the ones actually diving into that data themselves. They can't be outsourcing that to an analytics department because then those cycles are going to take weeks before they get to the next level of insight, and that just continues to slow them down. Okay. Got it. So we have more questions that are coming in, um, and this is a really intriguing one. So how do you become customer obsessed uh, where you're, but you're in a B2B context, right? Where, yeah, okay, great. You've got consumer internet. I can go out there to a coffee shop. I can release on, you know, on a website and get some real feedback. But um, like B2B, like nobody's going to just let me in to look at their assembly line. Nobody's going to let me in and talk to their supply chain or their, their customer channels. Um, let's say you get the culture right. How do you become customer obsessed in a B2B context? So one of the things that we see time and time again is B2B companies not investing enough in actually getting end user data. Um, I think it's a reflection of the fact of how traditionally B2B was sold, where you would talk to a CIO, it was all about the sales team basically convincing them, and then everyone would, they would do this huge deployment and everything, everyone in the company would have to use the product. And so B2B companies traditionally focused on the buyer. Um, that's not the way the world works anymore. The user ultimately is the person that matters. So they're the ones using the product. And so the place to start is to ask yourself, are you actually looking into how your end users are using your features that you're building? Are they using the features that you've most recently released? Actually ask yourself that in the most recent release, what percentage of your users are actually using that? And how did that influence your ultimate business outcome? Whether that's driving higher engagement, whether that's getting upsells, whether that's driving new revenue. Like if you're not answering that question today, that's the place to start. Get the data to answer that. Um, and that will then create this concept of customer obsession. Once you have that data, then make sure everyone can see it. Get it out there. Uh, so one of the things that we see a lot of our customers do is they actually track NPS. So for B2B companies, NPS is a great metric to basically align with, with end user. Yeah. Go ahead and explain for those that are on initiative uh, what, what NPS is. So that means it's net promoter score, which is basically you ask a question, um, on a scale of 1 to 10, how likely would you be to recommend this product to somebody else? Um, and what you're looking for are people who are either promoters, which score really high, or detractors, so really low. And mm -hmm. the net difference between that kind of reflects the health of your product. Okay. So it's a great metric for B2B companies to use. And we see a lot of our customers will then track that MPS in amplitude in dashboards that the entire company can see. And they'll actually see features they released. How did that impact their NPS? Mm. That's a customer obsession. Because now we're looking to see, are we building product that customers care so much about that actually they're going to recommend that product to other people? OK. Excellent. So you talked earlier about trying to get this order of magnitude Im improvement where you, where you get this 10x processes to, to, to make things better. And how do you convince if, if, if you're a C-suite executive listening to this podcast, then you're already there. You already know the types of things that you want to accomplish to do to be able to get that, that leap of um, magnitude uh, improvement in your innovation projects. But let's say you're a product manager and you've, 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 you're, gonna present, you're hitting all these cultural issues 
uh, you don't necessarily, maybe support is there or it's tepid or maybe leadership is ambivalent. Um, how do you convince leadership to be able to move in that direction? How do you say, look, we need to become customer obsessed? Do you, they just say, well, I just saw this podcast from Justin and he said to do that, or, uh, or maybe there's another approach. Yes, uh, it, it's a great question and it can be a huge challenge. Um, and I think once again, it starts with uh, getting access to some data and making some data-driven decisions. Now you may not have the luxury of having an amplitude at your uh, company, but you probably still have data. You can start to build out that business case um, by following that process. So take the data, explore within the data, understand some problem that you're thinking about solving, release something quickly, and then see the impact of that. And use that, now that might take you a lot longer than you'd like because you'll have to pull data from multiple different parts of the company, um, but that can help to start to build out the business case as to like, imagine if we could do this, um, but significantly faster, right? So find that quick win, uh, that win that then you can use to convince the rest of the organization, this should be something that we should invest in. And then from there, um, I think you can then build out a potential business case as to why you need something like a product analytics solution such that the whole company could do that. Okay, so if we're using data to combat opinion, is the data all that we need to, to do some uh, hippo hunting here? Is that is that all we need to do to take down the hippo is just show them some data and then they'll say, oh my gosh, I was wrong the whole time. Thank you so much for bringing this data to my attention. Uh, I see now the MPS is really improved. Uh, is, is that it? Well, so it's not just about the data, but as you said at the end, I think the end was the important part. The MPS is proved. It's about showing an outcome. Because in the end, like executives care about outcomes. And I think that's one of the great things that we're seeing within product today is that product is starting to actually be held accountable to business outcomes. If you can demonstrate through a feature release or a product that you're actually influencing whatever matters the most to your company, it could be revenue, uh, it could be engagement, whatever that is, um, then you can get more resources behind an initiative like this because that's ultimately what they're going to care about. So finding that moment, not just saying we need more data, that is going to fall and fly. Sure, we need more data, but we, like actually show how you're going to use data to get to an outcome, that is basically the key. All right, so what do you do when the data either has a, a high latency, you know, you're, you're using a long, big product or heavy machinery or you're in a defense industry or something and you, you know, you're not getting feedback for three months. That's one thing, one failure condition. Um, or what if you have a multi-sided market where you're not your end user and your customer, end user being the person using the product, the customer being the person who pays you money, mm -hmm. are two different entities. And advertising models is the classic, I need lots of people watching my program, but they're not pay paying me, the advertisers are paying me. How do, you, how do you collect the data? How do you use that to combat opinions when you have either one or both of those conditions where, where data is coming in very slowly, but you need to move fast, or, um, or you have a multi-sided market where the data is you know, one or two degrees of freedom removed? Yep. Um, so in the first one, uh, basically, if the data is coming in slowly, you're one, I'm guessing you're probably still not using the data to its full extent. Um, and so, like, yes, in hardware, hardware is a lot more difficult than software, certainly, to be more iterative. But you still have iteration cycles, and so I would believe that you could actually move faster. One of the other things that we're seeing is that a lot of hardware companies are becoming really software companies. Um, so example, actually, a customer of ours, uh, you may have heard of Peloton. 
Mm -hmm. So they are uh, basically exercise bicycle. And they are not like, they're not a hardware company. They're a software company. Um, so they measure everything that surrounds the bike to influence how they actually build uh, that piece of hardware. So they're looking at, they're tracking basically people who come in through ads that go to their e-commerce site, right, that ultimately purchase a bicycle and then use that bicycle within their application, use that within the gyms that, they, uh, that they're at, and they're also now basically opening up new stores. They're tying in the POS data into that as well. They're not a hardware company, right? But if I was a manufacturer of bikes and I saw that and I wasn't thinking about, like, how can you compete as a manu XYZ manufacturer of bicycle or of workout equipment with a company like that that understands the customer so well because they see and capture everything that they're doing? Um, and they're going to be able to move much faster. So yeah, it's still going to take a while to manufacture that next version of the bicycle. It might take six months, but their level of understanding of the customer will be so much greater that their their likelihood of getting that right is probably ten x what it is for manufacturer X Y Z. Yeah, yeah. And I'll, I'll just I'll just uh, step in as moderator and build upon that <laughs> just to say the, this this classic joke of the people on the savanna and they see a lion out and the, one person starts to put on his running shoes and and he looks to his friend and he says what is the matter with you you can't outrun a lion and the guy replies I don't have to outrun the lion I just have to outrun you. And that concept exactly. of speed wins. The fastest competitor wins because if it's a low latent, a high latency for you, it's high latency for all your competitors as well. So you don't need to be fast in an absolute sense. You just have to be faster than them. Um, and while That's we're exactly. on the African savanna, more questions about hippos. Uh, <laughs> and and this one, you hunt the hippo and you take them down. Does this not make the hippo extinct? Uh, boy, were that only true. Uh, but uh, like, like I mean, if you actually literally go against the hippo, maybe the maybe the better one is um, if you go after the king, you better kill the king. Uh, so how does that? How do you deal with the hippos when you're presenting that data uh, in such a way that you that you're able to uh, you know not make the hippo extinct, but still be able to accomplish your goals? Can you give us some examples of places where? Uh, presenting the data, and maybe the data isn't fully convincing. Maybe it's not self-evident. Um, what are some of the tactics and techniques that you use uh, to to eventually get the hippo on board? We don't want to make them extinct, we, but we do yeah. want them on our side. Yes, I think that's really critical, and that comes down to, I mean, that's like a whole conversation on influence. So one of the things that we see people successfully do is, one, don't put the hippo on the spot in a meeting. Uh, actually pre-sell basically what you're going to show get the, it's it's no hippo is going to say I don't want data to make decisions uh, that no one's saying that in today's era um, and so if you can find opportunities to pull them in to that before this critical meeting like you don't want to put them out on the spot within a large meeting because then basically they're going to feel threatened. I mean, we're truly going to use the African savanna, uh, <laughs> like don't corner the hippo. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, and so pull them in, uh, so that they can see some of the data beforehand and allow them some time to, uh, basically change their vision, um, along with the data and actually be more driven to that. So that's like really critical. And that, like I said, that has nothing to do with software. That has to do with basically influence, but it's really critical if you're gonna drive a cultural change uh, that you can't make it you, them versus the data. That's just not gonna work. 
Okay. What are some of the what are some of the best metrics that that we can track? Um, obviously, you know, in revenue up and to the right. Yes. Okay. Great. We all you know we also want that. We also want magic fairies to come and clean our room and cook our dinner. Um, but um, but MPS that was one that you mentioned. Mm -hmm. What are some of the other metrics that uh, are particularly appealing to enterprise to hippos or that that tend to convince more? Uh, than than other metrics. So if we're looking for that quick win, if we're looking to to present that data in such a way that that bolsters our case and helps improve our ability, um, what are some of the metrics that you recommend? Yeah. Um, so I could definitely go through some example of the metrics. In the end, what I recommend is one: figure out what metrics correlate with your business outcome. Uh, and so, and that's where you can use some uh, products like Amplitude to do that. But I'll give examples of some of those things. Uh, so, one, if you're in B2B, for instance, you might actually find that number of weekly active users correlates highly with upsells. We've seen that in Amplitude, for instance. Um, and so, it makes it really easy to then justify we should look at our weekly active users because we see if we have more of them within an account, uh, the likelihood of that account upselling is higher. Right. So. That's one example. Um, other examples could be things like you can look at overall engagement within certain features because a certain feature might be the thing that really drives someone. It, it, and the reality is it's like I can't tell you what that metric will be blankly for your company. It actually really depends on your customers. What I can recommend though is a process to figure out that metric. Um, so the first, like I said, is uh, understand um, Engagement. So you, for you, it matters. Like, are users using your product? And when we talk about usage. Usage isn't they opened up your application or they did a session on your website. Usage actually be they actually got value out of it. We call that the critical event. Um, so examples of critical events for our customers might be things like completing a purchase, could be adding a song to a list, making uh, running a query. Like, it really depends on your product. But what matters is you measure yourself to that critical event. And then you understand how that critical event influences revenue or whatever your other all business outcome is. So then you can tie that to basically what the hippo or whoever your executive really cares about. Got it. How long does this process usually take? I mean, that sounds like it could take a while. Is this a uh, I'm going to get together in the afternoon with two pizzas and figure it out, or is it you know months long, or how how long does the process generally yeah. take? Um, I, I see culture changing no different than product building. I think you have to have that 10x vision, and I think you have to increment it 10%. Uh, mm -hmm. So if you truly want to accomplish something great, it is a cultural change. And you can't change a culture overnight, but you can start overnight. Um, and so think about where you want to be a year from now in terms of being customer obsessed, in terms of allowing people on the ground to make decisions, in terms of being held accountable to product. And that doesn't mean you only not, I mean, you can do that from the ground. I mean, where would you want your company to be along that? And then think about what is the first thing, the next thing you could do to validate against that, that you could then use to go to somebody else and say, hey, this, I tested this and this worked. So that could be, as we talked about earlier, finding some data that helps you make a decision it could be getting visibility across something like MPS across your company. Um, so, but you got to like have that vision and then figure out what is that next ten percent thing that you can do to validate if you can actually accomplish it. Hmm. Interesting. We have a question coming in that I'm gonna I'm gonna put my own spin on from my own personal experience. I was working for a startup that had a a large uh, large company CEO that they brought in, and one of the things that I 
suggested to was to go off and talk to the customer and the person came back and said oh no 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 you can't do that you have to find out exactly what you're selling to them because you might potentially lose that sale and of course my response was how do we know what that is until we talk to them and they said well that's your job to figure it out before you talk to the customer right and so after I went back to my cubicle and polished up my resume, um, <laughs> I, I, uh, I, I would try to figure out a solution to that problem. Um, like, how do, you, how do you articulate the person who comes back and says, you cannot put an untested, unproved, unknown, experimental product in front of our customers? Well, you could lose yeah. that sale. It's, it's a great question. It's one that I think a lot of companies struggle with. Uh, there's a couple ways I think that you can tackle that. Um, one, if you can convince someone around the short-term versus long-term benefit, like in the short-term, potentially you risk a sale, but you learn so much uh, that we're gonna get 10X the sales. If you're in a high-growth company, I think that argument can make sense. Like you think of high-growth startups, uh, you're gonna have more customers starting next year than you've built in your entire year. That's what it means to double. So I think that's the argument if you're in a high growth startup. If you're in a more established company, I do think you have to have a little more nuance uh, behind that. Um, and so then I think it's about framing the conversation around the problem. So once again, it's not about showing some half-baked solution to them, but it's having a conversation with this uh, customer around the problems they're trying to solve. Um, and you might use some examples uh, from some prototype you've built as part of that. Mm -hmm. um, but if you're engaging in them in the problem, I guarantee you no customer will be angry about that. Yeah, uh, yeah. And no sales reps are gonna be angry about that. Um, and then use that to influence how you actually build out your solution. Right, so it's a building off of what you've earlier said about focusing and being customer obsessed that you understand the customer's pain itself. Because otherwise, as, as Eric Reese has always said, if you just throw something up against the wall and see if it sticks, you're gonna throw something up against the wall. Uh, and then all kinds of potential bad things can happen. But if you're at least able to articulate and from both sides, from the product manager articulating what the problem is and from the hippo side saying, okay, I'll allow it if you can articulate to me what the customer pain point is. That strikes me as a very good solution. Yep. Now, what happens if your hippo isn't quite as uh, as enlightened? Uh, and, uh, and, and uh, I mean, well, let's, let's start with the first thing. Like we all hope for the happy path and, and that sometimes happens, but more often than not, we have to go through the struggle. And when we're going through the struggle, let's say we get some bad data and and you know, or it's incomplete data, either bad or incomplete. Do you share that with the hippo? Yeah, um, it does really depend on your conversations with the hippo. If you can use that as a motivating factor to actually fix that problem, if you can frame that as this is a problem we have within our organization, uh, and if we were able to get complete data, we could actually make better decisions, right? If that works, that's great. Um, because you can actually, now you're actually framing a problem that hopefully they can help you solve. Okay. Um, so if not, I would not use bad data, uh, because I mean, like I said, a lot of our customers are going through this cultural change. We find it like one of the things about Amplitude that's really critical too. like, we have a lot of tools to make it such that you can trust your data because we know that the moment that someone doesn't trust the data, 
you've just made five steps backwards in your path. Right. So, so, so that's good. Although let me, uh, so I, so I agree. Most people would agree with that. Let's, what I meant by bad data was not bad data in the sense that it's incorrect or inaccurate, but that it's <laughs> not good in that it does not support your product. Oh. It doesn't support your hypothesis. Uh, you've got the data, but it's not good news. Do you, yeah. that, that's how I should frame it. Not bad yes. data, but bad news. Do you share the bad news or do you hide the bad news? Oh, we see that as wins. Like, like that, if you are a great product person, product leader, you want to be proven wrong because that means that you're learning. Um, those are great situations to have. Like you should embrace those situations because that means that you are now one step closer to figuring out the real problem. If you think about product, I, I think about product as like, you can think of it like a tree. Like, and there are so many things that you want to be able to build. Like you have a vision of the tree and when you get into it, you end up, there are lots of branches basically build this tree. And your job as a product leader is to prioritize the right ones. If you can cut off branches early, uh, that's great because then you can start focusing your resources towards ones that are actually prove value. And if data comes back and shows you clearly that the branch that you thought was going to be critical is not. That's great because now you can refocus your energy towards another one. You might, you might have to go back to the beginning, but I would much rather do that than go and build a product and then six months later realize that that was the wrong decision because customers aren't using it. Um, much better to see the data early and then rechange your focus. So what happens when the, when the hippo doesn't agree? The hippo says, look, this learning stuff, yeah, that's great that you're learning. Go back to school. I'm not paying you to learn. I'm paying you to produce new growth opportunities for the firm. Like, go do your learning on somebody else's dime. Like, I'm paying you for the answer. That's a great question. Uh, my, I mean, my initial inclination is if, if, if my boss or boss's boss told me that they weren't paying me to learn, I probably would brush up the resume uh, because I just, <laughs> like, that's what product is. Like, we are constantly learning. Uh, and um, so I think, once again, I would come back to a situation where you actually had learned uh, and were able to come back on that to make a different decision. That, that ha you have to have an example of that. So one of the things we talk about is like, what assumption were you making early on that you learned was the wrong assumption? And how did that change your direction? And if you can show that that had a huge impact and bring it to the level that the hippo is gonna care about, which is time, right? I care about resources. You can say, we would have spent so much time doing this, but we learned through the data that that was actually the wrong assumption. We were able to refocus here. They're gonna understand that because they, like, they see schedules, they're all red. <laughs> like, they care about things getting out. If you can show them that this will speed that up, hopefully that convinces them that that's the value of learning. Great, and again, this is where products such as Amplitude can help them. Yes, I mean, that's why like, we are basically helping companies understand their users, what is happening within their product, uh, and how does that influence some business outcome. So you can quickly explore your data to see, okay, people who use this feature, they're more likely to do X, Y, Z, whatever that critical thing is for you. Um, or another thing is we released this, hopefully it was an experiment, it only took a couple weeks to get out, and no one's using it. Uh, and you can now see, okay, you can then go talk to those customers and say, hey, why aren't you using this? And maybe you decide to kill that line, that's a branch that didn't work out, and you can go and build the next branch. And so that's how a company like Amplitude can help you more quickly move, which will ultimately get you the learning that hopefully gets you to the right product. Got it. So um, uh, it, it, 
Somebody in the questions has actually mentioned this, where they where they basically said um, this concept of the bad news data. Um, yeah, maybe this is not the type of information that we'd want, and, and similar to your concept of branching, um, that we would be able to have the opportunity for a pivot. Um, that glorious uh, overused term, um, but but um, how how do we properly use data to properly inform uh, that pivot so that we can say, look, here's what we learned, but it's pointing in a new direction. Uh, the questions that we ask are uh, are are relevant towards the answer that we're seeking. Um, if we frame it in that way, is that something that you've done or have experience doing? And how effective is that? Yeah. Um, I, it comes down once again to culture. Like I under, like the, I think the underlying part of the question is like, what if you're too far? <laughs> uh, and we've all lived in these situations where we are really deep into product development and then we learn that there was some assumption we made that was the wrong assumption. Uh, and you have this like moment during the headlights and you're like, what do I do? We've got the whole company moving behind this. Um, I think it comes back to the very first question we asked, which is why are startups different than enterprise companies? Yeah. Ask a startup what they do in that situation, and I know what they'd say. We pivoted. We, the data made it clear. Like, you're gonna make sure you trust the data, but like dive into the data. If the data clearly says you're moving in the wrong direction, like you gotta switch. And it might be painful, but I guarantee you I know what's more painful than that, building something and having nobody use it. Uh, so if that's what a startup would do, I think, if you're an enterprise company, you got to treat it the same way. That's one of the reasons why startups win. Uh, you got to do the painful thing and say, this was the wrong direction and we're switching. And I know it's hard, but like I said, it's way worse to take 12 months to release a product uh, and then not have it work uh, than it would be nine months in or seven months in to basically repivot and try to explore something new. Yes, uh, the startups don't have the choice, right? They don't, It comes exactly. back to that concept of <laughs> we, the very first question that we started with, uh, which was uh, which was they have all the resources um, not understanding that that's actually counterintuitive because when you have the resources you're able to continue and it's funny that you mentioned that 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 point of realization because uh, uh, something I'm always fond of saying is that what does it feel like to be wrong and most people will say oh it's terrible and it's not good and it gets me in trouble and I don't like it and it's unpleasant um, and all those things are true but they're actually answered to a different question which is what is it to realize that you're wrong? <laughs> uh, being wrong feels exactly the same as being right. Uh, yes. But larger companies, if they don't employ tools like Amplitude, if they're not able to make these difficult decisions, wind up getting in a situation where they simply put off the day of reckoning and startups exactly. don't have that yes. luxury. <laughs> that day of reckoning will happen. It will uh, happen one way or another. Happen. Yes. Uh, so yeah, completely agree. <laughs> okay, great. So, um, all right, fantastic. Um, well, it looks like we're out of time. There were a few questions, unfortunately, we didn't get to go to that came in late. So uh, for those of you who did, thank you very much. Uh, we appreciate it. We'll, we'll save those for the, for the next webcast. Um, but Justin, uh, any final thoughts that anybody that you'd like to share with our audience on the concept of product analytics, moving fasters, uh, hippo hunting, uh, <laughs> and other things related to, uh, to Amplitude as a firm? Yeah, I, I would come back to it being like it's a cultural change and there are things that you can do. So have a vision, but think about what's the thing you could do tomorrow to help drive that. Data can really help you do that um, in that understanding of the customer. And Amplitude, that's our core vision. We want to help companies build better products. We believe we do that by getting you closer to the data. And so if that's one thing that you want to accomplish, 
definitely chat with us. Um, we're happy to talk more about this. We have a lot of examples of how companies have changed their culture through using data and Amplitude to do that, and we'd love to help out. Wonderful. And for those who have found these concepts new and exciting and haven't been familiar with them, then you definitely also need to go to the Lean Startup Conference uh, because you'll get all this and more. So Justin, thank you so much for sharing your experience, uh, for sharing your, your insight and counsel. Uh, I appreciate it. I learned. That's awesome. I'm sure our audience did as well. So thank you very much. And Felicia, back to you. Thanks to everyone for joining us today. This wraps up our show. Again, Lean Startup Week 2017 is two and a half months away. If you're planning on joining us in San Francisco, grab your pass before August 31st to save with our August special. Visit leanstartup.co for more information.